It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, courtesy of The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. It's a great mix of national voices that you already know, like Jay Glazer, Mike Sandow, Mike Lombardi, the late, great Don Banks, or for The Athletic, too, and awesome local writers. In fact, one of my buddies, Harif Hassan, covers the Vikings, and I was just reading an awesome article that he wrote about this critical offseason for the Vikings. So if you're somebody that likes coverage of your own team, Great, plenty of that, but if you're somebody that likes coverage of other teams like I do, you can get tons of great writers that cover teams besides your own, and as I said, great national writers too. And here's the best part, not only do you get first-rate reporting, but you get all kinds of great analysis, advanced analytics, in-depth player profiles, and more, and it's completely ad-free, no clickbait, just great content. Pro sports, college sports, the athletic has it all. So if you're not subscribing yet, you're really missing out. Want to get in on the action? I got a great deal for you. Just for being a Play Like a Jet listener, you can go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and you'll get yourself 40% off a year subscription. 40%, that's a lot. Go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and get all of this fantastic sports coverage in the athletic for 40% off today. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And this is the final mailbag before free agency begins. We're going to be doing a final free agency preview on Monday with the very big deal, Chris Nimley, who, of course, joins me for the mailbag right now, and Michael Nania. We're going to talk about last-minute whispers and rumors, and Michael will break down some of the guys that we're talking about in terms of potential Jets targets because he's done a lot of work breaking those guys down. So it's going to be a really fun show, but I know there were a lot of questions as we get ready for the legal tampering period to kick off. So, Chris, let's get into the mailbag. Are you ready to answer some questions, sir? I'm ready as I'm going to (laughs) be. First question comes in from Prepare for Disappointment. He says, is there a risk the Jets add just enough talent to the point where they can't justify firing Gase, but they also can't progress towards being real contenders? See Texans under Bill O'Brien, Bengals under Marvin Lewis, Vikings under Mike Zimmer, and all of Jeff Fisher's decent teams. (laughs) It's an interesting question. It's certainly a possibility. I was joking the other day with a friend of mine that what I could see happening is that Sam Darnold takes another step forward in year number three, maybe not superstar level, but good enough that ownership is pleased and they like what they're seeing. And then Joe Douglas does enough in the offseason 
to get good players in here That the Jets show some progress But not that much And not really because of the coaching And then Adam Gase sticks around Beyond just 2020 And maybe even gets a contract extension Or something Which I think would be A lot of Jets fans' worst nightmares I think what you said Is a definite possibility In fact, I think there's a reasonable likelihood of it If Joe Douglas is able to go out And do what we're hoping he can do Which is add a significant amount of talent In the offseason through the draft and free agency yeah it's funny because when they were you know going through the coaching search and uh we were debating about who to hire my my thought on gates was best case scenario is you're going to be one of those teams you're going to be one of those texans teams you're going to be one of those jess fisher teams you're going to be somebody who can uh have flashes but just be so inconsistent and he's just going to make coaching mistakes and just do dumb stuff that's going to limit their ceiling um, that they can be a good enough team to be in contention for stuff, but never be able to like, fully take that leap that fans are obviously going to want. Um, that's just, that's just how I view Gase. Uh, that's how I view Gase before he was here. And when I thought that there wasn't a chance that he was going to come here, because when the, his name first started popping up, I was like, they're not going to sign him. That would make no sense. But I I was naive and didn't uh, give the Jets enough credit for being the Jets. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I kind of think that realistically, that's like a best case scenario for Gates, no matter what. Um, now, will that happen this year? Uh, will they be able to make enough upgrades for that to happen this year, especially with the much tougher schedule and travel and everything they have to deal with? I don't know that that's going to happen this year. So, um, but I do, I, I think that there's a ceiling on how good of a team an Adam Gase coach can, team can be. And that ceiling's not nearly as high as Jets fans want it to be. I'll put this caveat in there If Sam Darnold becomes an elite quarterback And Joe Douglas builds a tremendous roster Along the lines of what the 49ers did Then maybe the ceiling's a little higher than that But I think it's going to take something like that For it to be any better than what you're talking about right now Because I think if you have elite talent Then you can overcome mediocre to poor coaching But short of that then I think that you're headed for the scenario that you're talking about as a best case scenario. Next question comes in from Gus Toon. And by the way, Gus, I know you're recovering from a procedure, so feel better, buddy. You know that you're one of our favorites here on the podcast, so we hope you're better soon. He says, oh, geez, this time next year, what are both your expectations for the team? I got to be honest, Gus, at this point, it's so hard to answer that question because we don't know what they're doing in free agency yet. We don't know what they're doing in the draft. We don't know what they're doing after the draft so we don't have any realistic idea of what this roster is going to look like I do think that as Chris sort of hinted at in the last question they're due for a regression because of the fact that they've got a much tougher schedule and a much tougher travel schedule but until we know what the overall roster looks like it's going to be hard for me to make any kind of concrete prediction yeah it's really tough right now uh, for everything you just said like we don't know which, what decisions they're going to make. And, you know, again, we know they're going to go after certain players, but I don't know how those players feel about coming here. I don't know what other type of offers they're getting there. We know they're going to make upgrades on the offensive line. We know they're going to do some things. And on paper, at least, they should be improved and better. How much better? Um, 
also the rookies that they'll end up drafting, how ready are they to contribute? Because if they're ready to contribute from day one, you know, if they can get three or four rookies that are ready to contribute from day one, I'm not saying all pro level day one, but they're ready to play. Um, and that will go a long way too. But the bigger thing here is as much as I think they could be improved from last year, like they could be, if you were to able to build this roster and then go into a time machine and play last year over again, maybe they'd be able to win 11 games or something like that playing last year's schedule. I think that probably will end up working its way out to like winning eight games this year, just because of the difference of the schedule. Um, and it's the schedule is much tougher, the level of competition, because they have to play, uh, you know, they have to go to the Chiefs, they have to play the Rams, they have, they have, they have all the Seahawks, all these different things. So we'll have to wait and see because it's always hard to watch the schedule at this time. We don't know how those teams are all going to play out. But just the travel that they're going to have to do is going to be taxing on them. It's going to do a lot. It, like last year really couldn't have been an easier year for them schedule travel-wise. And I think this year it, it's going to show up, the difference of it. And uh, I, don't, I don't know that fans are prepared for just how daunting of a schedule and travel schedule this is going to be this year. Next series of questions comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, according to Ben Albright, who is very zeroed in on the Broncos. That's true. He does seem to have sources with the Broncos. I question his sources with pretty much anyone else, but the Broncos, he does seem to have somebody. He says they're in love with Henry Ruggs and have to get to 11 to make sure they get him. If you are the Jets and Thomas and Wills are on the board, what would it take for you to move back to 15 when you know that the Bucks are going to draft an offensive tackle? So we'll start with that, and then we'll work our way through the rest of Michael's questions. If the Jets really like Josh Jones as a tackle, and I think they may, then they could see the possibility of trading down as, okay, if those two guys that you just mentioned, Thomas and Wills, are still on the board and they trade down to 15, one of them could be there or Josh Jones could still be there at 15, at which point you pick one of those guys. If that's a scenario, it's not too bad in terms of what it would take to go from 11 to 15 with the Broncos. Maybe it's a second rounder and a fourth rounder or something like that, a second and a fifth. I don't know, but I would think that it would be in that range. This is where all these chess moves come into play, though, Chris, because we don't know who's going to go before who. We don't know if somebody could even trade up into the top 10 to grab a specific receiver or another type of player. So there's a lot of things that hinge on this. But if the scenario is that Ruggs is on the board at 11 and the Broncos call the Jets with both Wills and Thomas on the board, what would it take for them to trade out? I would think, yeah, second and a fourth, second and a fifth. And then you slide down to 15 and maybe you still get one of those two or you get Josh Jones. I don't think that's a bad scenario at all. And I think it would be a good way to pick up some extra picks. This, of course, predicated on the idea that Denver really wants to get into that 11 slot. Looking at the trade chart, it's it'd be like a third and a sixth would, would pretty much do it. Um, now, when you're trading up in the first round, the the the, uh, the trade chart doesn't work out as well. Typically, people want more in the first round, especially if they're sitting there saying, hey, we want one of these two guys, and if we trade with you, we're probably not going to get one of these two guys, so you got to pony up a little bit more. But then also the really hard part about uh, trying to predict trade value or what you would get with trade now 
is the new way they're doing these trades mm-hmm. where, you know, like they, oh, we'll give you a second round pick and then we swap fits mm-hmm. or like we swap a, a, our fifth with your sixth. And then like that makes these trades so convoluted and like uh, just to try to break down and figure out. But you would you would think, you know, a second and a four would probably something along those lines or a second in swapping picks. Um something along those lines would probably work. Um, and yeah, it, it's all going to depend on uh, Douglas's board. Uh, again, we've talked about this. Maybe, maybe he has Josh Jones or even the Austin Jackson from USC. Maybe he likes them more than one of the top four. Um, so maybe he's willing to do that. And then maybe he's willing to do that for not even like a, a great trade deal. Just, Hey, I'll pick up an extra second round pick. I'll drop down and I'll still get the guy that I like better than Thomas or whatever, you know? So that that's all. It's going to depend all on that. Uh, one thing I will say, I could easily see the Broncos doing that or wanting to do that because uh, with Cortland Sutton there, uh, what they saw out of Drew Locke, I still have my questions there, but towards the end of the season with Sutton there, Ruggs would be a perfect fit for that offense right now. This is what I talk about again with uh, the receivers and trying to predict where the receivers are going to go. I, I definitely have no doubt that m- most teams would have Judy and C.D. Lamb ranked about Henry uh, above Henry Ruggs, but it will it it doesn't even slightly surprise me that the Broncos would have Henry Ruggs as their top guy, especially for their need and what they they have going. It, that would seem to be a perfect fit for them. Which leads into the next part of Michael's question, by the way. And I would also yep. throw in that the Broncos have Noah Fant, who showed some flashes last year, too, in that offense. So he could be a nice piece with all of those guys. And you just mentioned that you think there's some teams, including the Broncos, that could have Ruggs as their number one receiver. I agree. And Michael says the same thing. He says he wouldn't be shocked if Ruggs was number one on several teams' boards. Thinks the Jets really like him as well. Wants to know if we would be disappointed if the Jets drafted Ruggs at number 11 instead of an offensive lineman. I wouldn't love it, I'll be honest with you. I really think they need to get one of those tackles or Josh Jones, who I like a lot too. I just think it's such a priority and it's such a hard position to fill and you've absolutely got to build that fortress around Sam Darnold. That's got to be what you do with that pick. But that said, Ruggs is an incredibly gifted player. He could be a tremendous weapon for Sam Darnold. So while it wouldn't be my pick and I would definitely be disappointed, I'm sure that if I watched him in practice or in minicamp or whatever, my disappointment would slowly fade away. I would hope that Douglas would have a backup plan for figuring out how to fix the old line if he doesn't get somebody at 11, but Ruggs is obviously an exciting player. So I wouldn't be infuriated about it, even though I would definitely be disappointed. Yeah, there's a, a lot of moving parts to this question too because uh, we were we were texting about this uh, last week, uh, not this specifically, but uh, talking about the idea of you know signing a Jason Peters or pulling off a trade for Trent Williams. If they go and do one of those, then all of a sudden I'm way more comfortable taking a receiver at 11 than I would be without one of those two guys. I'm not not even saying that that's the route I would take, but if they do go that route then I'm way more comfortable with the idea of going with receiver there. Also, it's going to depend specifically with rugs. It depends on what happens with Robbie Anderson. 
Because if they bring Robbie Anderson back, I don't know that Ruggs is the guy that I really want pairing with Robbie Anderson. As great as it would be to have those two deep threats, I would be more, much more interested in uh, Judy or C.D. Lamb at that point. Um, and I'd st- I'm still more interested in those two, that, uh, no matter what, than Ruggs. So out of those top three, uh, Ruggs is uh, clearly in my number three there. But especially if they w- address uh, the tackle position before the draft, I'm I'd be okay, I'd be good with going receiver there. And uh, and again, I like Lamb and Judy more. But I'm certain you're not going to throw see me slamming them for taking a, a receiver as talented as Henry Ruggs. Michael also asks, what are your thoughts on Bradbury and being a $16 million cornerback that the Jets sign? Is he a good fit in the defense? Would you spend that amount of money on him? Seems to play more zone than man-to-man. Connor Hughes is reporting that the Jets should be and will be in on him. So you heard Manish a couple of days ago on the podcast talk about this, and he said that he's not so sure that the Jets are going to be willing to go that high on Bradbury despite what Connor reported Obviously, at this point, it's all a guessing game, and there are a lot of smoke signals, and agents are saying things, players are saying things, executives are saying things, so it's hard to know who's telling the truth on this, but I'll say this much. I don't think that it would be a good idea at all. Bradbury's a solid corner. He's not worth anything close to $16 million. And even if you want to argue he would be a good fit in Greg Williams' defense, and I'd really have to study the tape on Bradbury to know for sure— I just don't think that you want to sign a cornerback who's a solid corner to a $16 million a year contract. I hate to compare it to Tremaine Johnson because I'm not saying that Bradbury is as bad as Tremaine Johnson ended up being, but it's a similar situation where you're overpaying greatly for a guy who's solid and just happens to be one of the better options in the free agent market and you have a need at that position. And as we saw, that didn't work out with Tremaine Johnson, and it often doesn't work out because when you pay great money to a not great player, most times you end up regretting it within a year or two. I also think that if you really want to get a corner, you could probably get Trey Waynes for significantly less money, and I think he's a comparable player. So I wouldn't be making this move, and if I was going to spend big money on a corner, it would be Byron Jones. Yeah, so I, I, I know what you said there about uh, how you're not comparing Bradbury to True Man Johnson, and I hear you and I agree with you. Just to clarify a little bit, though, the Tremaine Johnson – was really good for a couple of years. And then he had like two really bad years before he signed with the Jets. <laughs> and then there's this idea that because he was uh, back with the Nard, now all of a sudden he was going to play a back great again. So th- there's a definitely a huge difference just in case the Jets do end up signing him. Uh, I don't want fans to just run with, this is the same thing that happened with Jermaine Johnson. Uh, because Tremaine's uh, play had slipped well before the Jets actually signed him. I like Bradbury more than you, but I completely agree with you. Paying him 16 mil per is not something that I'm interested in. If I'm paying big money for one of the cornerbacks, give me Byron Jones. Uh, I, uh, Jones is a is a much better player all around, in my opinion. I, I think Bradbury is a little better than solid even, and I – and he can play a man. He played man at times. Uh, a lot of them playing zone was just the system that they were in. Um, I think he'd be better than a lot of people realize as a man. But 
not near 16 million. There's a very few people I'm giving up that type of money for a cornerback, especially in today's game. And I just think paying someone like him 16 mil is a recipe for disaster, especially when we're talking about a cornerback position where they all get beat at times. Um, we're not, he's, we're not even talking, you know, he's nowhere near, uh, let alone a Revis level. He's not, uh, uh, nowhere near Gilmore level. He's nowhere near Jalen Ramsey level. He's nowhere near those guys. Um, but you'd have to be paying him like that. And that's just not a good way to go about, um, constructing your roster. I, like I get, we talked about this with Conklin on the offensive line and I'd, I'd rather do that with Conklin because at least that's somebody who is a definite upgrade, who's protecting Sam Darnold. And you're just like, all right, well, this is the best we can get. We can overpay him. There's other avenues to go get cornerbacks. Uh, you can try to trade for somebody who's not as good of a fit in, in their system. Uh, you can you can try to draft somebody, you know, in the middle to later rounds, and you can hit on them. Those hit – cornerbacks hit in the draft late sometimes or in the middle rounds. So uh, I'm, I wouldn't do it. If I'm paying money for a cornerback, I'm paying for Byron Jones, and that's it. Yeah, and like I said, if you really want to get a solid starting cornerback, I think Trey Waynes is at least comparable to Bradbury, and I think you could get him for significantly less money. Also, if I'm spending big money on a free agent defensive player, which I would because I think they really need an edge rusher, I would go after Dante Fowler, especially because I think this draft has some pretty good corners, but it's not very good when it comes to edge rushers. So I think edge rusher of all is the position that you would need to fill in free agency. Fowler's only 25 years old. I know I've expressed skepticism of him in the past, but I think he had a Breakthrough year this past year with the Rams And I know it's a little risky because you wonder If it's one of those situations Where he's just having that really good Year in his walk year but considering His age I think that it would be a worthwhile Gamble because even if you give Him a four or five year deal by the End of the deal he's going to be 29 30 years old so it's not like you're Doing what you did with Darrell Revis or Tremaine Johnson and paying a guy who's At the very end of his prime And I think Bradbury is Good but I don't think he's good enough to pay that kind of money, especially considering the fact that, as I said, unlike edge rusher, you could go into the draft and, like Chris mentioned, get some quality players. And I think there are other options available as well that are solid that could at least give you reasonable production like Trey Wayne's and he would cost less money. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from the Jet Ranger. He says, can we all agree that the new uniforms are trash now? I'm going to be honest with you. I still don't care at all about the uniforms. I just don't care. Trash, great. Whatever it is your opinion is, that's fine. If you love them, great. If you hate them, also fine. I just don't have it in me to care about the uniforms. Just put a good product on the field. I don't care if they're wearing the ugliest uniforms in the history of man. Just put a good team on the field. That's all I care about. Um, this is going to shock people. But I completely agree with you. <laughs> I, I could care less. I still like them more than I, I still think they're fine. Like, I don't, I, they're jerseys. They're fine. I don't, like, I don't know what people want with jerseys. How, the, the only real problem I can actually see with them is that the little uh, sliver of a, that they have on the shoulders. 
Otherwise, they're fine. But that, I mean, I don't know. I'm not. I'm the wrong one to ask because I just don't really care about jerseys. Like I said, unless I think it's like you know those neon Seahawk jerseys or like the Packers or Steelers throwback jerseys. Like unless they're that ugly, I I don't really care. There's a couple of jerseys out there like the. Uh, the Texans blue and the the Patriots uh, alternate those dark blue jerseys. Those things are fire. There's a couple of fire ones out there, but for the most part, there's a couple of fire. There's a couple of trash, and there's a whole lot of cool. All right, uh, that's how I feel about jerseys. Next question comes in from Michael Palace. He says, "If Russell Okung wins his grievance after the CBA passes, does the CBA become void, and how would that affect the contracts signed with potential cap ramifications?" Congratulations, Michael! You found the one thing that I care about less than uniforms. So I'm <laughs> gonna defer to Chris on this because I have absolutely no idea. Chris, you have any clue on this one? So yeah, I'm just gonna be honest. I saw that I, I saw the uh, Okun thing, and I didn't look into it at all. And a lot of that is what I'm doing with the CBA stuff in general. There's a whole lot of talk and a whole lot of noise, and what this might mean and what this could mean. I'm gonna wait and see whether or not the players agree to it, and then I'll start to figure it out. And I'm no lawyer. I'm no judge. Reading any type of legalese and contract language, man, reading a sentence of that can take me an hour just because of the words they use and how I am just, it's a completely different language. This stuff is all written to confuse the regular person. Um, So I was like, oh, this is interesting. I was like, but if I try looking into this, I'm just going to, my head's going to start spinning. And I was just like, I'm just going to wait and see what happens, how it plays out. The only thing I can say about the CBA is that when it comes to the details, that's for the players and owners to work out. It has nothing to do with me, and I just don't care. I don't really give a damn about the revenue splits. That's for them to figure out. It has nothing to do with me. As you said, Chris, once it's all figured out, then we can go through it and see what it means in terms of ramifications that the fan would care about, like the salary cap and how many games get played and so on and so forth. But until that point, I just can't even try to care about the CBA. Michael Palace also has another question. This one is about the offensive line. He says, I think the Jets should re-sign Alex Lewis and sign Jason Peters to a one-year fully guaranteed deal and then go and get Connor McGovern to be their long-term answer at center while drafting a tackle and guard with the intent of starting the draft picks on the right and moving them the next year. Do you guys think this is a good idea or a bad idea? I like most of it. I'm fine with bringing back Alex Lewis, even though I don't really think he was that good. The coaching staff and the front office seem to like him, so bring him back. If you start him, cool. If you don't, and he's just depth, also fine. I like the idea of bringing in Jason Peters on a one-year deal. I think he's an above-average starter still. He can give you that one year where he can hold down the fort and hopefully help bring along the rookie that you hope they drafted 11 and Shuma Adoga, and then you see how Adoga does, and if he doesn't do well enough to step up and be a starter in 2021, you go and you get somebody else in the offseason next year. As far as McGovern, I'd be okay with that. I don't think he's really that good. He's better than Harrison, though, so I'm fine with him being in there even if he's not more than a 
two or three year answer at the position is better than what they've got right now. I could also see them drafting a center. And we talked about the Glasgow thing before. If you sign Glasgow, it really gives you the flexibility to go out and get a center or a guard and you're not stuck with one or the other. And then as far as drafting a tackle in the guard, that's kind of what I was getting at there. I think you absolutely have to draft a tackle, but maybe you draft a guard, maybe you draft a center, depending on who's available in the draft, you figure that out. But I think overall, the plan that you put out is fairly solid. Yeah, and if you get someone like McGovern again, that allows you to have Jonathan Harrison as a depth piece now to be a backup center, a backup guard, and again... Jonathan Harrison, not an ideal person you want starting at center for you. But if you have Jonathan Harrison as a backup there, that that's that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I'm all for the idea of signing Peters. Um, this is one of those things. It'll depend on what the deal is. You can get him on a one-year, maybe a two-year at most deal. Uh, if, if he's looking, saying, hey, this is my last chance. Let me get as much as I want, and he wants to – get anything close to three-year deal, uh, I'd probably stay away. But, yeah, g- give me one year or even even I'd be willing to go to two years of Peters. He is still an excellent tackle. Um, when he is healthy, he does have some injury concerns there. But he that's somebody I would roll with, especially the veteran presence, somebody – what he can do to help the rest of the offensive line or how he can help Sam Darnold um, – that is something I'd, I'd go for and really just, you know, get all the offensive linemen. If you're going to spend money, that that's that's the position. Right now, again, uh, you don't want to lock up too much on one person or with the Conklin situation, but, man, you got to protect Arnold. So just whatever, however you do it, sign a couple of them, draft a couple of them, just, just do it. That's going to wrap up part two of the final mailbag before free agency hits. Remember, we did an abbreviated part one yesterday alongside part eight, the final part of the Sam Darnold Project with Michael Nania. So if you missed that, go ahead into the archives and give that a listen. We'll be back with part three tomorrow. And then on Monday, we're going to have our final free agency preview where Chris and Michael will be on at the same time. We'll talk about last minute news notes, whispers, rumors, all that with Chris. And Michael will chime in with his thoughts on all the expected targets for the Jets because, remember, he's been dissecting these guys for months, so he's got a ton of information on the players that the Jets are likely to pursue in free agency, and we'll get into all of that on Monday. If you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review on iTunes, if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd greatly appreciate it. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we'd be grateful. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast series Badlands with Connor Rogers and Joe Caparoso, you really should. It's a tremendous look at the 10-year period that the Jets have more or less been out in the cold. No playoffs. How did it happen? How can the Jets avoid it from happening again? And how can they get onto the right path so that they can be successful for the next 10 years? Listen to this series and you'll find out answers with some great guests, including Manish, Connor Hughes, 
Alex Jimo, who is behind the scenes in 2016 and has a tremendous story about a meeting she had with Woody Johnson. It is fantastic. I can't even believe that it ended up leading to a closed-door meeting with the players, but listen to the show and you'll find out the rest of that story. Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, Mike Tanier, and so much more. Make sure that you sign up now at Podbean, or you can get the information at Connor J. Rogers or at Jay Caparoso on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit Chris at CNimbly and at Jets Insider on Twitter. Read his very big deal work at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.